I'm super excited for you get to for you to get to hear the word that the Lord has put and really birthed in my friend Pastor Brian McMillan's heart. He's going to share a little bit about his church, but a couple things he wouldn't tell you. He's the lead pastor of Centerpoint, which is the largest church on Long Island. They have seven campuses, and but beyond that, beyond the significance of the impact that they're doing on Long Island, what I love about Brian and what you're going to see today is his passion to reach people who don't know Jesus, who don't even recognize that they need Jesus. And so God is doing an incredible thing. And the awesome thing for us is he is a far better preacher than he is golfer. And so you are about to be really blessed. Him and his wife, Sarah, are dear friends of Tara and I's. And I'm just, Brian, really grateful and excited for you to be here today. Would you help me? Give, come on, give a big welcome to Pastor Brian. <clears throat> yeah, thank you, Alan. If you've never seen him parallel park, it's a treat. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, ACAC, it is, this is truly, I mean this, such an absolute pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, I've known about your church for so long, and to be able to be here last night, uh, 8.30 service, I don't know whose idea that was, but it is not good. <laughs> that is early, especially when your pastor has me out clubbing to 3 a.m., just not, not a good morning. No, I was in bed by 10, don't you worry, but... <clears throat> But it really is, for me, this is an honor to be able to share with you and share my heart. And, and uh, the message I'm about to share is something that God really did uh, speak to me to share with you. A lot of times when you're a guest preacher, I'll give you a little inside scoop. We recycle things. <clears throat> you do. It's like, oh, I love this message. I'll go preach that to the church. And, and God really kind of uh, um, put this in my heart for you. I wrote it over the last two weeks, so I'm excited to share it with you. And so here's what I want to do. I don't, don't normally do it this way. I want to start with the last thing I'm going to say. And what I want to share with you is this understanding that Jesus had a mission statement. He had a personal mission statement. And here it is. It's Luke chapter 19, verse 10. If you want to get your Bibles ready, we're going to read through this whole story in a moment. But this is what Jesus says. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's his mission statement. But to get to this, I want to share just real quick a little bit about my story, my journey, since we're getting to know each other so you can learn a little bit about me and the church and uh, Centerpoint. Um, here's the thing. I grew up all over. My dad was actually a professional vocational Boy Scout. Any professional Boy Scouts in the room? 
Yeah, I didn't think so. He did that as his career, and to get promoted, you would move to another council. So we moved all over the Northeast. But when I consider what is home for me prior to Long Island, high school was Erie, Pennsylvania. Anyone from Erie? Come on, it's a big room. For real? <clears throat> That's what I'm talking about. Erie, Pennsylvania, I mean, that's, that, that was all high school into about being 19 years old. And so I consider myself a Western PA boy. We would come down to Pittsburgh to pick up girls. And um, true story, it is what it is. You know, I was in high school. Come on. And, and you guys go to Presque Isle to vacation sometimes, some of you, when you want to do it on a dime. And, and so I love this part of the world. And I ended up ending up on Long Island because my parents moved there. I stayed behind, but I got a lot of debt as a 19-year-old, and I needed mom and dad to bail me out, so I moved home. Moved to Long Island, but I fell in love with the bigness of New York. Um, I I fell in love with the bigness of of Long Island and everything that kind of encapsulated it. And I also fell in love with uh, this feisty Italian Queens girl named Sarah Simone. Uh, My wife and I have been married for some length of time, between 17 and 22 years. I always forget. She loves me. And uh, we have have two children and, and a wonderful life. But here's the funny thing. Do you know that Erie, Pennsylvania is very different than New York? Do you, you know that? Very different. <laughs> but I ended up loving New York. And as I was there, God started stirring me a call to vocational ministry to step out. And uh, I did young adult ministry for five years. I met your young adult pastor just a little bit ago. She is awesome. Um, and I did young adult ministry for five years. But then God called me to start a church. And so at the age of 25, I started Center Point. Church. It's been a 21 year journey so far. And we started Center Point because here's the thing about Long Island. Let me show you a quick map. <clears throat> if you know nothing about the geography of Long Island, you have Suffolk County in the yellow. That's like where the Hamptons are and everything else out that way, the eastern end. Uh, uh, Suffolk County has about 1.8 million people. Nassau County in the green, that's where I live. That's 1.5. Long Island is. 3.2 million people, but that does not incl- include those two other colors there. If you ever want to make someone mad from Brooklyn or Queens, tell them that they live on Long Island. <laughs> Call them a Long Islander. But, no, you're not New York City. You're, you're Long Island. But when you include Queens and Brooklyn, that's another 5 million people. And so this stretch of land here on Long Island is a little over 8 million people that are on Long Island. And if we're just looking at Nassau and Suffolk County, if you would ask me how many people are followers of Christ, and I I don't know anyone's heart, I'm just big picture data. If you said, all right, Brian, how many people have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, meaning they're going to live for Christ, I I would argue it's probably only about 2% of over 3 million people. And so we knew that we needed to start another church. Not because there aren't good churches, but the amount of churches versus population. There needs to be hundreds and hundreds of more good churches on Long Island. And so we started Centerpoint Church to reach 3.2 million people. I'll get back to that in a moment. But what I want to do now is I want to bring us to the significance then of the mission statement of Jesus. So let's go. Let's look at Luke chapter 19, verse 1. If uh, you've been in church for a while, you've had a couple of decades in, you certainly know this story. It's the story of Zacchaeus. It's the story that's only found in the Gospel of Luke. It's not in the other Gospels. And let's start. Chapter 19, verse 1. You guys feeling good today? You excited? Good, because I'm excited, if nothing else. Luke 19, 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
Now, some of you may know this story well, but some of you may be brand new to church. So let me, let me give you some context of what was happening 2,000 years ago in Jericho in this Greco-Roman world. Uh, first, no one loves the IRS. Amen? Like, that's fair. Now, if you're here and you work for the IRS, I love you. I love you. But everyone else may not. <clears throat> And so no one, like, loves tax collectors. No one loves the IRS. But it was different back then because uh, the tax collectors weren't necessarily the most upstanding citizens. Uh, they, they were very much hated. Taxes in Rome in this day and age was roughly 30 to 40 percent of your income. You would be giving 30 to 40 percent. And I want you to think about this. Uh, there was no refunds possible at the end of the year. Right, there was no tax bracket, so if you only made a little, you were taxed less. It was the same across the board. Unless you were a billionaire, then you're not taxed at all. But that's another, we'll, we'll just get to the, the. And there was, there was no civil service that was coming as a result of the taxes. I mean, the government just took it and used it to invade others and, and bolster their, their army. Democrats and Republicans alike would have, would have not passed this tax law, okay? And on top of that, tax collectors charged more money, and this was part of their job. It was totally okay. Rome didn't care. They charged on top of the taxes for their own wealth. They would charge above and beyond, and so they would line their, their pockets by, by just taking this money, using their power from the people that they're doing. And now, to make matters worse, not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, and then the chief tax collector, he was the one in charge of Jericho, but he was also Jewish, and he was taxing the Jewish people. So he's ripping off his own people to make himself wealthy. He was taking what was for the people of God. He was giving to Rome, and there's already an issue there. And then he's getting rich off of this. And a Jewish tax collector was seen as a traitor. They were absolutely hated. Verse 3. It says, he wanted to see who Jesus was. This is Zacchaeus. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. Now, some of you have been in church a long time. Some of you were Sunday school teachers 30, 40 years ago. Any 30, 40 year ago Sunday school teachers in the room? God bless you. You got treasure in heaven. <laughs> and back in the day, we didn't have technology. We just had felt boards. Little felt boards, you stick the little characters on. And this is one of the great Sunday school teachers of the day because it's so animated and fun. The kids always got into it. And there was always a song that came with this story. Here's the thing about this song. It is an old song, which means it is not PC. You did not care about PC things 30, 40 years ago. You get canceled for singing this song today. But I am taking a flight out of here in a few hours, so I don't care. I can say whatever I want, and you leave ACAC. You don't leave my church, so it's okay. <laughs> you email Pastor Allen. You don't email me, so I get away with it. It's a great being a guest speaker. And so here was the song, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. You cannot say wee little man anymore, people. How dare you? All you that sang that should be canceled yourselves. No, it's now person of short stature, which doesn't sing as well. Zacchaeus was a person of short stature. Like, no, it doesn't work, so the song's over. But I don't want you to miss this scene. Because of his height and his desire to see Jesus, Zacchaeus does something that was unheard of. First, I want you to realize that he is running <laughs> to this tree. He's running. 
Here's the thing about rich people, friends. If you've never met a rich person, let me tell you about them. I know some rich people. We have the Hamptons nearby, a lot of Manhattan money on Long Island. I have never seen a rich person run. They don't even run to exercise. They pee people to run for them to exercise for them. That's what rich people do. And I'll tell you what else. I've never seen a rich person climb a tree. Have you ever seen a picture of Elon Musk high in an oak tree? No. You haven't. Why? Because that's not what rich people do. And you go to this moment of Greco-Roman culture 2,000 years ago, and it would have been considered undignified for a man, a grown man, to climb up a tree like a child. No one would have done that. Like, you just, you're a proper person of society. You never would do this. It's like today when you see adults doing middle school TikTok dances in Target. You're like, what is wrong with you? You see that? You just see some grown adult like, mm-hmm. You're like, what? Stop that. You look like a fool. Don't, you're 45. You got your husband like, all right, babe. You know, no. It's embarrassing, adults. Stop it. I'm not a middle school girl. And that's what it's like. Zacchaeus climbs up this tree in this moment. And the point is he's acting like a fool, like a child to see this man. Look at verse 5. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Don't miss this. Jesus noticed Zacchaeus. He didn't notice him because he was a grown, rich man in a tree. (laughs) He noticed him for another reason. Because what does Jesus do when he notices Zacchaeus? Jesus calls his name. And some would say it was a supernatural uh, understanding from Jesus. Others may say that it's because Jesus knew about him. It doesn't actually matter how Jesus knew. The point is Jesus knew. And when he called his name, that means everyone knew that Jesus knew exactly who this person was. Jesus knew that this was Zacchaeus, the thief, the chief tax collector, who was an evil human being. And Jesus is talking to him. Jesus is talking to him. And then get this. Jesus, knowing who this man was, says, I want to be part of your life. Now, staying at someone's house and eating with someone may not seem like a big deal to us, but it was a huge day. In the day of Jesus, especially within Jewish culture. Because when you would eat with someone with us, if you ate with me at, at Applebee's or Fridays later and someone saw us, they wouldn't think twice about it. It's just like, yeah, two people having lunch, hanging out, you know, getting a bite, big deal. But in Jesus' day, when you ate with someone, it meant that you identified with them. It meant that you respected them, that they were a respectable company, that you were seen as equals. And so if you were someone of polite society, of religious society, and there was someone coming down the road that had a bad reputation and was doing things that were ungodly, not only would you not eat with them, you would want to walk on the other side of the street from them. You would not want to look them in the eye. You would want no one in any way to assume that there is any association with you and that person. And Jesus says to this man, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. I want into your life. I care about you. I see value in you. And so Jesus has this moment, and it's a huge deal. Look at what the crowd does. Verse 7. It says, all the people saw this and they began to mutter. They said, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I can almost hear how they said this. 
Because, you know, when we talk, talk about us being sinners, you know how polite we are to ourselves, right? When you're, like, praying and you're, you're just kind of confessing to God and you're calling yourself a sinner, you're like, God, I'm such a sinner. Jesus, forgive me as a sinner. But you notice how we talk about other people when we call them sinners? It is not so gracious. We over-accentuate the, 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 the word, right? Like, we're like, hey, look at that guy over there. He's a sinner, Sinner. Do you see those sinners? Sinners. That's how we like to say the term, right? Because it's a holy swear word for us. It's a word we can say around religious people without getting in trouble. We get to devalue you and put you down and not get kicked out of church for saying it. And so to everyone there, they're saying this word, and there is no humility to it. It's Zacchaeus is a sinner. He is scum. He is vile. He is worse than an enemy. And they're all wondering, why on earth would Jesus, a man of God, a rabbi, a teacher, waste his time with this wee little man, with a sinner of that caliber? This was unfathomable for a man of God to do. Yet Jesus does it. And I want you to see the compassion and the love of Jesus. I want you to see its transformational power of what Jesus can do. Because he sees Zacchaeus. He calls Zacchaeus by name. He invites himself into Zacchaeus' life. And look at the instant response of Zacchaeus. Verse 8. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up. And he said to the Lord, look, Lord. Here and now, this very instant, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. It took just one conversation with Jesus. Church, you see, when Jesus speaks this man's name and gives this man value, and becomes part of his life. What happens to Zacchaeus? His entire identity changes. That is the power of Jesus. That is the power of a relationship with Jesus. That is the power of knowing the love of Jesus. Amen. His entire identity changes. When he climbed up that tree, Zacchaeus was still a liar. He was still a crook. His entire identity was still caught in ripping people off to make his own wealth. But one minute later, one minute, he becomes someone who admits that he has wronged people. He gives away half of his wealth to the poor. And now he's willing to give four times the amount of those he cheated. I bet you someone out there right there was like, man, I wish he cheated me. I, I could do with a little tax refund right now. You know what's interesting? A little Bible nerd fact. In Numbers chapter 5, verse 7, in the law, there, there was a, a law about if you cheated someone. The law says that you need to give back full restitution, full amount that you cheated someone out of, and then you had to give them 20% above that, 120% back. That's the law. Zacchaeus would have known the law. But what does he do? He says, no, the law isn't good enough. Because I met Jesus. Just doing what is required of me isn't enough. Because I met Jesus. That is no longer my identity. I'm going to give four times the amount of what I cheated people. I'm going to give them beyond what anyone would have ever seen or expected. Because I met Jesus. 
And Jesus changes our identity. And finally, and here's where we got started. We're back to the mission statement of Jesus. We see Jesus' mission statement for why he is here on earth in the first place. Everyone's confused. Everyone's wondering, why would Jesus do this? Why would he be kind to the worst? We shun these people. We shame these people. We dehumanize these people. We don't bless evil. And so Jesus knows that everyone's confused. So he looks at the crowd, and he uses this as a powerful teaching moment. And he says in verse 9, Today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Friends, why did Jesus leave heaven? Why did Jesus go on this road of life to lead to a cross where he was going to ultimately die? Why did he do what he has done? Well, he tells us to seek and save the lost. Church, I, I don't know if this is a responsive church to, to sermons or not, but I'm going to ask you to say this with me because I want to make sure at least one point, this comes from your lips as well. Why did Jesus come in the first place? To seek and save the lost. There's nothing more beautiful and creepy than a congregational response. <laughs> what do we do with this? Is this just something like, oh, that was great, Jesus. Good job for you. More power to you. <laughs> I think there's two things that we need to do with this story. And here, here's the first one. Two questions we need to ask ourselves. The first question we need to ask ourselves is, am I lost? Am I lost? Because I'm sure in a room with this many people, and, and I don't remember if this message is online or not, someone at home watching this right now, I guarantee that there's some people that need to, to have a moment of humility like Zacchaeus and ask the question, am I lost? Because here's what I love about Zacchaeus. He knew he was lost. He, he knew that he didn't have God in his life. He, he knew that he needed help. He knew he couldn't fix the own problem that he had. And, and he knew that he needed a savior. And if you're here right now in this room, I, I, I would challenge you, especially if you're new to faith and exploring faith and someone brought you here and maybe you've been here for decades even you need to ask yourself, am I lost? Do I know who Jesus is? Do I have a relationship with him? Do I, under, do I understand that only he can fix the problem of sin that I have? If you're feeling like God could not care, does not care, wants nothing to do with you, I want you to know that is absolutely not true. And I want you to know, just like Zacchaeus, who everyone else thought that he was worth nothing, if you feel like you are worth nothing right now, that is an absolute lie from the devil. I want you to know, hear me, that right now Jesus is calling your name. He's saying, Mike, he's saying, Mary. He's calling your name and he's saying, I want to be part of your life. I want you to know why I came. I want you to understand what forgiveness is. And all you need to do is simply invite him in. That's all you need to do. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of the evil of my life. Now show me how to live for you. And if you say that, if you pray that, Jesus will absolutely respond and you will no longer be lost. So do not leave here today without saying yes to Jesus. Amen, church. Yeah. We love that. That's how we became Christians. We realized that and took that step. But now let me speak to all the found people in the room for a moment. This is for you, Christian. The second question we need to ask ourselves is, are we willing to join Jesus with his 
mission. Are we willing to join Jesus with his mission? Why did Jesus come? To seek and save the lost. What does he want you to do, church? To seek and save the lost. Now, I'm not saying that you have the power to save anyone, but you can absolutely point to the one who can. To seek and save the lost. Isn't this really then what Jesus told the church to do in the Great Commission this moment after his death and resurrection when he's, he's equipping the, di- the disciples and the apostles? He's like, listen, I'm going, but, but I'm not going to leave you without a call. I'm not going to leave you without a challenge. This is your job. If you are the church, this is what you are called to do. And he says this in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. He says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority. And heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go. Seek. Right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And Jesus is telling them as he's telling the next generation of Christians to the next generation of Christians to us right here, right now. Continue my mission. It's that simple. That's the mission of the church. Now listen, when we we gather in our lives, our our very first response to God is always to worship him. That is first and foremost. And everything that we do is to give God worship. But I would argue that when it comes to the church, our primary uh, purpose of existence after worshiping God is not to be here for ourselves, but to be here for those who do not yet know him. That is the Great Commission. That is what he's told us to do. Yet we have made Christianity about eating more faith. (laughs) Getting full. Right? Making it about us. Yet that's not what the Great Commission is about. Sure, that's part of discipleship. We're all to grow. Don't misunderstand me. But the church is called to be a church of people on mission. Church, let me ask you. Does your life reflect more of the crowd in the story or Jesus? What's your attitude to the people around us that would not want to come to a place like this? Are we seeking those far from God? Or are we being a judgmental religious community that likes to point to the sinners and devalue them and shame them and avoid them because we don't want to get any of that influence on us or our kids? So let's hide as the people of God So the sinners don't infect us like it's a zombie apocalypse. Listen, I'm not saying this is ACAC. Please don't misunderstand me. But I do know that we're all sinners ourselves. The church is a bunch of sinners. Just to remind you of that, just because you met Jesus doesn't mean that you don't have the flesh, doesn't mean that you don't have sin. And and the reality is, is that sin nature becomes a religious nature. And that religious nature starts to make us think in ungodly ways and mask it with a godly attitude. And at the end of the day, I think a lot of us do this. We, we start creating subgroups and groups that we think are worse than us. And we don't want to do anything to reach them, be part of their lives. We want to push them away. We want to keep them away because we don't like their, their ideology or their lifestyle. And this can look different for different groups even within here. I'll, I'll give you an example. Some of you are like, man, I'm so sick of these Americans, these woke Americans. Oh, talk about a word that'll set the place on fire. Yeah, I'm sick of, I'm sick of woke America. I want nothing to do with them. They should leave America and go somewhere else. Yet there's other in this room right now that are saying, you know who I can't stand? Those ignorant people that use the term woke. I just defined everyone in this church. 
to find every American right now, right there. There's some of you right now who are saying, you know what, I can't stand in America. I can't stand all, all these people with their sexual lifestyles and their sexual identities. I want nothing to do with them. Some of you right now are saying, you know, I can't stand those people that are always, they're always high, they're always drunk, they're wasting their life. I want nothing to do with them. They get what they deserve. Some of you in this room right now, man, I, I know these people, they retweet President Biden's tweets with a heart. Sinners. And others of you are saying, you know what, those guys over there, they're MAGA guys. Sinners. Do you hear the filth that comes out of those people's mouth? Or do you see how those people are dressed? Or can you believe that group over there are Baltimore Ravens fans? Sinners! <laughs> we make our groups and we judge and we say we want nothing to do with them. Friends, hear me. The church's job is not to reject and damn the lost. Our job is to seek and save the lost. Rejecting and damning is so much easier. That's not what Jesus has called us to do. We are called to go out of our way to love people, to get into the lives of people, to be the gospel presence for people, to seek. That is an active term. It's not passive. Hey, listen, if someone comes to me, I'll tell them about Jesus. No, it's saying to seek, meaning go to their homes, their lives, where they are, what they're doing. Don't isolate yourself. Seek. Go. Friends, let me... Let me just say, if you don't have friends in your life that make religious people question your faith, then you probably aren't living like Jesus. For everyone in your life are just good, wholesome, clean, sterile Christians, you're probably not living like Jesus. Who'd you hang out with this weekend, church? I, I want to share with you one of my, my life verses. As I got into ministry, I, I, I just kept coming back to Romans chapter 10. The entire chapter is so beautiful, so significant, so challenging by the Apostle Paul. But he says in this one part, starting in verse 14, he says, how then can they, being the lost, call on the one they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. What is Paul saying? Go and seek and save the lost. He's saying, listen to the mission statement of Jesus. Be sensitive to the great commission. Seeking isn't passive. It's intentional. That is our job as the people of God. So Centerpoint has a vision statement. Every church really has the same vision statement, is the Great Commission. We, we, just, we, we just make it contextual to maybe where we find ourselves. And so at Centerpoint Church, here's our mission statement. We exist to give everyone on Long Island multiple opportunities to hear and respond to Jesus. Everyone. 3.2 million people. Now that may sound absolutely foolish, and it probably is. But I got to tell you, I I feel God's calling me to still pastor there to the day I retire. It could be a burning bush moment, but that's the goal. And I, I'm saying, no, we are 
going to take seriously the fact that right now millions of people do not know Jesus. And right now millions of people are going to have eternal separation from God. And I don't know about you, but I can't just sit back and be like, I have the greatest news that the world has ever known, and I'm going to keep it to myself. (laughs) You know who does that in movies? Villains. I got this great cure, but I'm not going to let anyone who's sick have it. (laughs) I'm going to store it for myself. It's cruel. Everyone. ACAC, let me ask you three quick questions. ACC, do you love Pittsburgh? Seven of you. That's awesome. (laughs) Do you love Erie? No, just. (laughs) Do you love Pittsburgh? ACAC, do you love Jesus? ACAC, do you love Pittsburgh enough to bring Jesus to your city? That is the call. That is why God has brought you together. That's why in over 100 years, this church has been doing this. I love the history of ACAC, but here's the problem with history. Here's the problem with being a staple. Here's the problem with having enough people and enough money, even though you need a few million more. (laughs) To do what you do is it's so easy to just say, hey, we've made it. We're content. We can last for 100 more years probably, as long as we don't do anything stupid. But the job of the church is not to exist. The job of the church is to be a people on mission. That is your call. And I'm challenging you, friends, and some of you need this. Some of you are probably already doing this. Stop running from the Zacchaeuses in your life. Stop judging him. Instead, invite him into your life. Love him and be a reflection of Jesus to him. Real quick, since COVID, people went insane. I went insane. I, I got so nuts that the, the, the squirrels in my backyard stopped talking back to me when I asked them <laughs> questions. That's how nutty I got in COVID. But I'll tell you this, post-COVID, there is such a spiritual hunger in people. Because everything that they thought was secure, they learned was not secure. Everything they put their faith in no longer had purpose. Whatever they thought was solid ground in the world, they now realize is not solid ground. And they are looking and they're asking and they're waiting for someone to show them something that is solid. There is a moment right now in America and in the world where people are open like never before in my lifetime and in yours. They're just looking for someone to help point to what will heal, what will save, what will love in a way that they've never seen or experienced before. And it is your job as a follower of Christ to seek and point to the one who can save. I want to pray for you, church. Will you stand with me? Jesus, it is such an honor and a blessing to be here at this incredible church with a beautiful lineage of living this message out. God, and I lift up each and every person here who is a follower of you right now that they may not run from the call. God, if we're being honest with ourselves, there, there, there needs to probably even be a lot of repentance in this room because we've, we, we've created groups in our minds that we're fighting on social media, that we are talking about, that we are rejecting, uh, that, that we want nothing to do with. They are the Zacchaeuses in our life right now. And instead of saying, man, maybe if I brought the love of Christ in their life, that would actually change them like Zacchaeus was changed. Instead, I'm just going to point fingers and say they're the problem with America. God, forgive us for that. 
Instead, may we be the people who say, God, give us such a, a soft, loving heart in me for them that even when they say things that I know are, are, are stupid or hurtful or offensive, God, that will not hold me back from caring about them, praying for them, loving them, and serving them. God, because we want to see Pittsburgh as a place that is radically changed through the power and the love of Jesus Christ. This one church, I mean, imagine if all the churches, but if this one church really owned the Great Commission... In the mission statement of Jesus, I want you to hear me, friends. You could change this city through the power of God. Don't run from your call. Don't, don't become lazy to it or lethargic to it. Church, you are to go. You are to seek. And you are to do it for the glory of God. And if you are here and you have never yet experienced Jesus, I would encourage you, just cry out to him like Zacchaeus did. Just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Show me how to live for you and Jesus will absolutely change everything about you. He loves you, church. Don't run from him. God, we lift this up to you. We thank you and we praise you and all God's people said amen. 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 AC, AC, thank you so much for being so hospitable and letting me speak into your life today. Go and seek and point to the one who can save the lost. God bless, church. Eat some pancakes on me. See you soon.